Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome back to the Criminal Connection podcast. My name's Terry Stone, a.k.a. The Podfather. Today, we've got Mr. Lover, man. Yummy bee. What do you nice think? To see you I'm not Love getting that. on the X Factor anytime soon, am I? No, you've done that, <laughs> does it? You can get in. You don't have to, don't have to try too hard, Terry. You're like me. So, you are 56 years of age. Don't shout that out, Terry. No, I've got to put it I out ain't, there. I ain't, Terry. I ain't 56. Right, because 36 years of your life... You've been behind the door, and that is a long time in anyone's book. And you look fucking remarkably young, vibrant, healthy. And I'm actually, I just like, you know, who is better looking, me or you? I mean, this is a question for everyone watching and listening to this podcast. Funny you should say that. Five months ago, they were saying it was you. Really? Then I got clean. Now they're saying it's me. Fucking hell. Sorry, Tell. We'll have a debate on it if you want. No, no. But many are upset that I got clean. I told you what would happen, my boy, but yeah. no, it's an absolute pleasure. I don't mind. I don't mind 
um, being four years younger than you, but... Are you tell? But you looking better than me is OK. I can live with that. No, you're not better. I'm better. You're far better than me. You stayed out, Terry. You enjoyed your life. I'm, I'm really... I'm, I'm, I'm on a crest of a wave at the moment. It's the best right. I've been, right, Amazing. since I've been out, Tell. But I have. I was saying to Richard, I'm still a bit heartbroken. It's taken me this long to work out the do's and don'ts in life, right. but I'm really pleased and appreciative and grateful. Do you know something? Some people learn it early on some people it takes a bit of time um but obviously going back to you know when you was younger Viami, you know um what was it like when you was growing up where, where was you born and where did you sort of live and where did you grow up well it's, it's a funny old game because i was born on new year's day um mile end hospital but it was bow road apparently so they said i was a um the bow bills so you're proper That's what they say, Till. So I was born actually in Bow Road right. at that hospital and then moved to West London. So I'm really, I'm born East London. Yeah, amazing. But never ever went back there right. until this time I got out. Right. And then found myself living, imagine living in the road. When I, when I was homeless a couple of years ago, I was staying with someone right on Bow Road. Right. And it was the first time I'd ever been there since I'd been born because obviously I'd been incarcerated all that time. Right. So when you grew up, you know, you you born in, in East London. Yeah. Then you went west. Um, what was it like growing up? Where, where... Um, I wouldn't say a happy childhood. I thought, you know, many people see... Was you brought up with, with two parents, your mum and your dad? Yeah, I had a yeah, father and a mother. But um, to be honest, Terry, I've spoke about it quite a lot. There are people familiar with my life story, but I suppose there's no harm in going into it again. But I went into care at 10 years old. So I didn't have much home life. My dad had a stroke. My mum took an overdose. There was no one to look after me and my sisters. So basically I come from a broken home, but it wasn't the happiest of childhood. I was a dream footballer, even though I was small. Um, I was always a little bastard anyway, before I went into care. I was always a bit cheeky, but I was always the smallest. When I was 10, I looked about three kind of thing. Um, but not my dad used to hit my mum, but I was kind of not like my father until late in life. I realised there was things that my mum did. I was a mummy's boy, ultimately, I never really liked. When I went into care, before that fateful day of going into care, uh, mum really started to be an alcoholic. I didn't like people taking advantage of my mum. No boy really does. So I used to go in search of her when I was in the children's homes and that, quite sad, really. Emotional, I used to sneak out from the children's homes. Um, but my dad was a very strict man. He was in, uh, I think he was, he was in the Indian Navy. But because of the, this kind of way he used to handle my mum a bit, right. I didn't really know as much as I did in later life about their relationship, to be honest. So I took sides more with my mum and didn't like her. Right. Don't really like, uh, didn't like him hitting my mum, if you get what I mean. I don't think anybody would like them. I mean, my dad <clears throat> and my mum's boyfriends mm. were the same and did that to my mum and, and, you know, as, as a kid, I actually wanted to fucking kill him. I mean, there was no uh, ways of mixing the emotions. It was like, yeah. you know, I actually wanted to kill these people because, you know, at the end of the day, it's your mother. Yeah. And, you know, got mentioned it women full stop. You know what I mean? So when you see that, you just wanted to fucking switch them off. I know it sounds extreme, no, but, but that's, that's yeah. what you felt like. Well, that's the normal, con I mean, I've, I'm glad I never had certain traits that other men have got, Terry, right. for all my faults. At least I've got none of that kind of history. Yeah. I've always been very restrainful there, maybe too so sometimes. And I suppose the shock of, um, in the end, um, till before my dad died, I was in Whitemore 
cat. He had six months to live. Never really had no relationship with him. Like I said, it's a broken home kind of thing. And then him saying sorry to me, I'm sorry for certain things. I say, Dad, but you haven't really done anything. And just before he died, he says, uh, one of my sisters, uh, legitimate, that my mum went with another man. So you got me in the middle of two sisters. But he only says that on his deathbed. So then that would be the reason why he might have, he loved my mum. Right. But that she did that to him. Right. Do I forgive, do I regret not having a relationship now? Actually, you know, because I can honestly say that he loved my mum. Right. And he'd done everything, even right to his dying days, he was still with her. Yeah. But sometimes I think I got it wrong. I was a bit harsh on him now with the knowledge he's only human. Yeah. And when you get wronged, especially when you love someone, it's kind of hurtful. When I do mean, serve, it doesn't make you yeah. want to hit a lady, of course. You show the shape, but from that era, there. How, how, when was that? Seventies. Seventies. See, sixties. Sixties. Wow. Because he went to prison for it. I mean, I think while I, I was think, in foster care. Yeah. I, I think. I think. Mm. In the sixties and the seventies. Yeah. You know, I think men were a little bit more uneducated, and they would actually like knock women about, knock their kids about. Hundred percent. It was just like you know, work, especially working classes. You know, it was it was the. You know, the belt would come off, the shoe would come off, you know. I used to get that. Yeah. Hey, but then it was more like, you're the, not being disrespectful, but, but you're more the woman, you do the cleaning and all that, I'll go to work and you do as you're told kind of thing. Well, my mum uh, worked, right? But she also did the fucking cleaning, the cooking. Yeah. And, and you know, <clears throat> as a kid, growing up in that environment, that was normal. But looking back on it now, it was like, you know, you're going out, earn the money. She's going out earn the money, yeah. right? You're going down the pub, pissing out the fucking wall. She's doing all the work. She's looking after me. And then you come home and it's like, where's my fucking dinner and all that? And being all handsy. At the time, you know, I used to be angry about it. But now I look back on it as a growing up, I just think, what a fucking fucked up, you know, existence. Like the dysfunctionality of it. You know In I mean? reality, but then if you look at today's, it's worse, Terry, I'm afraid. Really? Because you remember one parent now, Dads are not in most of those sons and right. daughters' life or vice versa. Yeah. Um, they're disrespecting young girls now. You wouldn't be able to, in our day, you can't slag off someone's mum. Right. You can't slag off someone's daughter. No. Very rarely you could see that in our communities yeah. where you could be rude like that. It was more respectful. Now they're doing things. The respect you know, definitely has gone. It's, yeah. And they're shooting and killing, murdering. It's a regular thing. Back then it was a one-off crime. It'd be front page headlines twice a year yeah. that he shot her or they killed him. You know, something really, now it's every day. Yeah. So you I have mean, to say morals and standards have definitely dropped. dropped. And I've been <laughs> shocked since I've been, I saw them all come into jail anyway, the new generation. Right. Um, they can't really do much on their own, only in big gangs and all that come from a different era. Again, I felt sorry for them, but their behavior around um, respectful in the communities where you got auntie and your gran and right. are scared to come out. It wasn't really like that back in the day, right. to be honest. Going back to what you were saying about when you first went into care, I mean, what was that like for you, Yami? Because, because a lot of people that are listening and watching to this <clears throat> will never even experience this or even understand what that means. So it'd be good to actually, to say what you felt. You know, oh. you, you, your dad's obviously had a stroke. Your mum's obviously had an overdose. You've been put into care. And did it feel like you'd just been picked up and just dumped into this fucking yeah. alien world? To break it down without making it long, Terry, is that on the night when it all happened, when they were both in hospital, 
we just come from Barry Island, Wales trip. My godfather, Mr. Hall, who was in the Second World War, a Hull man, he used to, was my mum's guardian angel. He was a landlord from before we moved to Listen Green. We lived in Labrock Grove, Harrow Road, Mozart, that, you know, all them areas before we went to Listen Green. So when we was at Listen Green, um, when they came that night, there was so much screaming from me and my sisters. We didn't really want any, he was saying we don't want to go, but obviously there's no one to look, you've got to go into care. Right. We all had our pajamas on and night dresses on, um, got in a car with a social worker on a rainy night and you've got to stand outside a new home, basically, that are not your parents. But my biggest thing was that obviously I, I didn't want to be away from my mum. Right. So that I didn't like it, I didn't take to it straight away and then the bad things happened to me in that children's home and then I never saw daylight again, but unfortunately. When you said the bad things, what, what sort of went on? It's common knowledge that at the hands of probably more than one member of staff and not didn't end up stabbing um, the actual person who was the manager of the children's home was abusing me for quite a long period of time. Um, another member of staff abusing me in a different way, but because of the stuff that I was experiencing um, in that children's home where we'd made allegations to Westminster and basically they swept it all under the carpet, made me feel like I was the one lying. Wow. So I couldn't go to school every day because I was crying till. So then on that day, I didn't want to go to school because when I was going to school, I had a lot of angels there. Girls say, Sammy, what's up? Tell us what's wrong. And then that day I said, I'm not going to school. I didn't want to go there. I had a good school teacher as well. She used to visit me in the children's home, Mrs. Hardman. I really loved her. I didn't see the importance of it then because it's not your mum. She had a general husband and she used to come and everybody hated her at school, but yet she used to visit me in the children's home and bring me Easter eggs, but I used to hide behind the door when she used to come. But really she was doing it out of love because she felt sorry for me. But in reality that morning, I didn't want to go to school. It picked me up out of the chair because I had made allegations. They were saying, oh, you've done this to him and that will mistreat you and you've turned against us. And you know, we'll... and he threw me outside the front door with my school bag on. And I went into the bag, pressed the bell. I got the compass out, the geometry set and steamed into him. I was only about four foot high, but I stabbed him about 30, 40 times with the little uh, compass. And that fucking hurts. I actually stabbed myself with one of those compasses. I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't severely, apparently he died a few, a couple months later or something from something else. He said, I was having, but it wasn't because of mine. They tried to swing that round on me when I was a little boy. Um, but basically I got on the bus. I got away from that scene, got on the bus with my Leeds United football bag and I got on the bus, but I was full of adrenaline. It was like I was fighting back. I'll never forget the feeling. I was thinking, good. And what was you then? About 12 or 13, but I was a small 12 or 13. Like, but I'd already been in care two years or something like that. But when I got on the bus, then I got to school and then they came in and got me at school, the police. And then basically I was in Stamford House, secure unit. I mean, um, in not the secure unit, first for the secure unit for a week. And then they put me in O'Hare House. And my first ever person I shared a room with was Chris Eubank. Wow. He was there for shoplifting. I was in the dormitory, just me and him. Wow. And I went into O'Hare House because I was the same age as him, but I was too small. So what happened is I went in the room and he said, baby face, like you're too, and I was making him laugh overnight. And I tell him about what happened to me and what I did and all that. Right. Uh, but I liked him straight away, didn't like bullies. And in the morning they came and said, look, you're too small, Yami, for this house. Even though you're the age, you have to go to the, younger boys across like that house blocks there. That's O'Hare house, Hanvey house is there. 
So even though I was the right age for that house, but they said, Chris, you back. They said, leave him with me, be all right. I'll look after him, but they didn't have it. And they put me in that one opposite. And so I would say, funny that, and they thought that, but he's actually the first room sharer that I spent my institutions <laughs> um, in with. And, and with the abuse in, 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 in this care home, mm. was it happening to other people there as well? I found out later on, I only thought it was me. Because lots of people, um, and a lot of people won't know this, but mm. in that period of time, in the sort of 70s and 80s, yeah. a lot of these people that were in, in care were being abused yeah. by these people that were in positions of power and trust. Um, you know, and while I don't condone violence, I, I think I would have probably done the same thing. I've got regrets over all my crimes outside, apart from that one. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just sort of think, I'm, I'm here from a broken home and you're, you know, you're doing that to me. And oh. I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, it really is bad. Yeah. And they, they never, ever got put, brought to justice, these people. It's mad, isn't it? And I found out afterwards there was people closer to me and they was getting, but I didn't know at the time. The thing is, it's difficult, isn't it? It's like, if, if you were being abused, it's not like you're going to go see one of your mates in the, in the home and go, oh, hey, guess what happened to me last night? I was getting abused. What did you do last night? I was getting abused. People just won't talk about it. It's like, it, it, it kind of makes you feel like you've got to keep that secret. The truth of the thing, right, Terry, when you break it down, to be honest, it's like the boogeyman coming at night when everybody else is sleeping. Another boy would sleep over there and I'll be there, but he'll be, he was younger than me in that room and he'd be asleep early. He's only about eight or nine. So then you know that he's coming kind of thing and you've got to lie there. Faces under the blanket, but your face is red because you know that's where I think my people pleasing came from as well. Like, you can't, you want to say no, but you can't. You know what I mean? Is it's... that why you agreed to come on this podcast? Terry's <laughs> 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 interesting. Me and Richard were talking earlier about how it, funny that, good question. Because the people pleasing, I believe, anyone that tells you, because you didn't, couldn't say no, you, and anything that you, everybody asked you to do, you became passive when, even if it meant killing someone for someone else, you'd go and do it for them, but you wouldn't do it for yourself. I've actually got a long list of people that I want to be killed here. <laughs> I would have done it no, for I'm you. Joking, I'm joking, No, but I would have done it for you back then. <laughs> Not now, obviously. <laughs> but obviously you ended up then for, coming out of the, yeah. You know, the, the care system into... Yeah. Well, was that like a Borstal type? Yeah, just a young boy's prison. Like a young offender's institution. Just before detention centre, Stamford House. Um, but and then all when the you bad was... kids are, are there at the same time, really. Right. And then when you was going through that, <clears throat> did you at any point think, maybe I should sort of, you know, straighten myself out, get back on on track? Or, or, or do you think that was literally the catalyst for you just to fucking play up and become a nuisance? Well, <laughs> I got, no, it's reality, Terry. And I got allocated from there after being incarcerated there for a, quite a while. They put me in a children's home in Mozart Estate where everybody basically was a criminal. Burgling rich people's houses. So I went straight from there to there. And then having been around a lot of boys in there in for various crimes as well, some disturbing, but you know, all dysfunctional homes in care like me for different reasons, but ran about the same thing really. Then I go there and, you know, I'm idolizing some of the bigger boys wearing, you know, a lot of gold jewelry and croc skin shoes and the blues around the corner, you want to be just like them. And I mean, that's how I, I want to be like you came from Jungle Book. <laughs> I want to be like you, I want to walk like you, and I want to talk like you. That's Tony Argent's favourite saying. Right. That's what he calls me, Jungle Book. 
calls me Mowgli. Right. <laughs> Don't like it really. I right. prefer King Louis. King to Louis be honest, good. the king yeah. of the jungle. So then, what? What you know? What was? What would you say was your first crime? First crime, apart from stabbing the abusers, twelve. I mean, my first crimes were high-class premises, right. burglaries. So I learned pretty. They used to dress me up in the Boy Scout kit, make me knock on the doors because I looked so small. And was, you, was you like dip, dip, dub, dub? Any car washes? <laughs> any car washes? Knock the door, sweet and innocent, no answer. They come in and burgle it, but that's what I was used for. What was you stealing then? Was it jewellery or? Jewelry, yeah, right. yeah, like in rich area. We were surrounded in West London. There was like um, Harrow Road, the ghetto kind of thing. Um, Labbert Grove, part of ghettos, but surrounded by Bayswater, Hyde Park, and then further West Edgware Road, Marble Arch, Park Lane, Mayfair. You know, like the rich areas are not far away. Hmm. Regent's Park, Baker Street. So we only had to go around the corner, believing, of course, wrongly now, that to make a get proper touch, you know, and getting into people's houses, but more chance, if you do rich people, sadly again, the more chance you have of getting luxury jewellery and, and better stuff than you would do from robbing the next door neighbour, say. So I um, never got... Um, um, by going down this path, what would you sort of earn a day or a week? Would you, would you... Them days... It's like what would be a thousand pound in jewelry or two thousand pound is like a hundred grand today. Got it. So that was big so money I was getting big, big pieces. Money. What now? What you get? It's a quarter of a million and all that kind of thing. But nine carat was really cheap. Eighteen carat wasn't much more. You know, like I think in the old days, eighteen carat was like four pound a gram, and um, nine carat was one seventy. Now it's eighteen pound a gram, nineteen pound twenty two, and, and that kind of stuff. Was but, you was you stealing to order, or was you literally no. stealing, and then you'd go to a jeweller's and go, "Do you want to buy this?" Yeah, no, I would. They started pushing me through the windows because I was the smallest, so I was a bit Oliver Twisty. Right. But I remember feeling scared on my first view, and eventually later on in life, I'd be a one-man crime wave on my Jack Jones on my own, right. sadly, thinking I was Terminator. I wasn't scared of nothing, but in the beginning <laughs> of time, it was really frightening. You want to get to the door, open it. You know, if you get caught in there, which I did once, and got nearly got killed to death by the owner. Right. Um, but it was frightening at first, and then they'd come in, and I used to find little bits and say, what's this? Older mad boy will say, Oh, don't worry, I'll look after that. And then when it's to go to the jewelry shop, let's make me wait outside so I'm going to see how much they got out of it. So you know, you get later get on, you get knocked, you get rumped. You know what I mean, Terry? Then you worked it all out, you'd have to stand there and wait, yeah, just wait there. And they give you what? You know and what, what I mean? um, that, that thing when that guy almost killed you, what happened there? They literally come in the house when you was in there. I'd done, after the stabbing, um, I'd done detention centre, Blantyre House, where you have to march everywhere, the short, sharp shock. And then I wanted to do that. I remember when I went to court for my first burglaries, the laid, the laid bench at um, Seymour Place Juvenile Court in Marleybone, they didn't want to send me to detention centre. They said, no, we think you should go to another children's home. So I'd have been about 15 or 16 then. But imagine that. I didn't, because of the abuse, I didn't want to go back to a children's home. I wanted to go to DC and Borstal because I heard some of my mates had done it and come out and come out harder. Right. So I was refusing right. to have a chance of not going to prison. But I said, no, no, I'm not going back into a children's home. She goes, Samson, 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 listen. They were kind of tearful. When you look at it realistically, they didn't want me to go there. It was really strange. They locked out all the rooms. She's going, Sammy, look, we don't want you. I said, no, not, I want to go. And goes, we have no alternative but to give you three months. Detention centre, the short, sharp shock, Terry. 
And then I was kind of happy, but I remember my two co-defendants were in the cell, their mums were there, I was all alone as usual. Never had nobody right from the get-go. So then when I'd done that detention centre, I came out, probably had my first girlfriend at that time as well. I was a late developer. So I would have been about 16 or 17 then, but I was only out three months, not on a care order no more. So when I came out from detention centre, them horrib that horrible social worker, oh, you're not in care, no, we don't have to. I said, all right, sweet. I was glad, first time I'd been at home since I was a kid. Probably that time my dad's disabled, mum's um, alcoholic. Um, I get nicked in a house in Maida Vale where I climbed through a window, pressed the door about a hundred times, no one answered. But when I climbed through the window, obviously there was no way out and the man came out with a towel around his waist, he just come out of the bathroom and he got the telephone wires and wrapped around me and started to strangle me and I started crying. They called the police. Wow. So I ended up, so I got four years detained. I got, that was my first, no, I got four years. I went to Ellsbury 16, I couldn't even sell the dock because I had two cases at St. Albans Crown Court. So they brought all the cases together from, because in the early days you get bail for one burglary and that kind of stuff, then I never got bail again ever after these, after that sentence. They sent it all from Knightsbridge to that one case where I got nicked in a Boy Scout uniform in Rickmansworth, where we were just about to do a judge's house. And I got nicked before I went in there. So they joined that case with that case. And I went in front of Justice Strake. Two armed robbers went up before me my age and got two and a half years. I went up, I didn't have no co-defendant, no nothing. Uh, my social worker decides to come to court and say he's got a bone structure of a five-year-old. He's a late developer. Um, them days I hadn't even really started puberty. That's why you look so young. Probably, that <laughs> might be. But then we was talking earlier that could be the emotional shock yeah. from the trauma of the abuse. So it stunted, I don't know, but I've read up on such things. So I'll go into that later on, Terry, if it, if, it's, um, if it matters. But I'm in there, I can't see over the dock. My sister is up there, Jane. Um, the solicitor's telling me, she's gone in and said what she said, he's medically bone structured, but we can't do nothing for him no more. The only alternative is prison. Wow. He turns around, Justice Strike, I'll never forget, he goes, you may be immature, because I got next to the Boy Scout, and he said, you're one of the maturest burglars I have ever seen. Three years, six months, six months to run consecutive. Wow. We're climbing through windows, which was unheard of back then. My sister was crying straight away. I was crying downstairs, to be honest. And it was, oh, they put me in Brixton. There was no room at YP, so I had to go into an adult prison at 16, 17, where I shared a free cell with two legendary names. So I bumped into household names older than me for them three nights. I was in Brixton. Yeah, for, for people that are listening and watching this, what was it like your first night in prison? Was it just like... They were taking a piss out of me, the right. olders. They were saying, oh, you do, how come you got so long for that? But they didn't realise at night I was still crying. I was still in shock from the sentence because they told me that I wouldn't get more than 12 months. Wow. They railroaded me on that sentence. And then from Brixton, after about three days, they sent me to um, Chelmsford, was like a miniature Wandsworth. Everyone's in blue, bang up 23 hours a day. All the kids there, the bad ones from back in the day, some of them already done borstal training. So I went from Chelmsford and then they, they said, no, you've got to go Aylesbury. And that's where all the bad lifers were. And that was the beginning of the time that was my schooling. And people like Terry Ellis was there at that time. He was in Ashford with me. 
at that time as well. Um, loads of well-known faces right from the crack of dawn, my age. But I seem to be younger than everyone, Terry. It's really strange, but everybody was the same age as me. But <sighs> I remember I used to go down um, for breakfast in Chelmsford and the screws would say, oh, we'll have to phone your mum to let her know you're all right and all that. And I mean, it was a factor with my size and my, right. my, my age and you know, the way I looked and they started calling me baby face and things like that. But I had a lot of protection as well though. So a lot of certain guys would always be, you know what I mean? It's really strange, isn't it? They're really like bullies. They kind of want to look after you the smaller you was back then. It's much different well, than think, it is well, now. I think, I think people, mm. You know, they, 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 they can obviously see you and what you've been through and they want to they wanna make sure you're all right. It's, it's been a, fe it was a feature throughout the category, eh? It's, it's a feature out here now. They all seem to... You know, I did everything wrong, but everyone still always looks after me, Terry. I've got no arguments with no one, really, if you get what I mean. I lived a charmed life, but, yeah, that's, that's how it's left me feeling. And then my first ever girlfriend in Ellsbury, something sad happened to her. So I was all alone mostly for that, and you do two, three years get starred up and get released and you hit Wandsworth at 20 and all of a sudden, you know what I mean, Freddie Foreman, <laughs> Roy Elder, you know what I mean, Joe Cobb, Johnny Reed, all, um, Del Crocs and build a bomb, they're there already. I actually... You know uh, what I mean? So I'm in a four-up already and they're saying, yeah, babe. I remember I had my first row in adult prison. Right. Roy Elder. Roy, uh, so this will make you laugh. I was at a dinner... Yeah. Um, a year ago, a charity thing, and he was sat next to me, and I got chatting to him. Frank Sinatra, blue eyes. Yeah, yeah. And we was having a chat. Magic footballer, you know. He's a great guy. Great Magic guy. footballer, he's always wink at everyone. Right. He liked me. I had a row with someone in the morning. Some geezer had come in, right, from Luton, because, you know, I was cheeky and a bit mouthy, but, you know, in the adult prison, they always look out for me there as well. When I first got to Wandsworth, it was terrible back then, but I loved Roy Elder. Right? I don't know if he remembers me, but he's a magic footballer, this geezer. He could, the outside of the boot, things, he used to be able to find players just like that, right? Um, I said, love playing up front when he was in the midfield, he's proper, proper baller. I had a link with him outside through someone else, he gave me a number, he likes me, way back in the day, right? So, within the cell, this geezer comes, he's taller, obviously, than me bigger, but I was more stronger than what I thought, but he was talking to me rough while they were in the cell, but Royal was looking at me like saying, like, don't have that. You know what I mean? So I upped the geezer, but I knocked him out, but I didn't mean it, but I got the luck of the draw. <laughs> but he fell down on the bed, and I thought, when he went out, we said, yeah, you fucking strong you are. Like, that was my first adult fight in the cell with Royal Did Chris Eubank give you some tips when you was in with him? No, he used to go in Stamford Owls. They used to have the gym, Mr. Simons, um, a dark gym PI, like, screw PI, but not child one then. He used to take them all on, the, everyone on the pads and put you in the ring against people. So I was pretty, I was the lightest, the smallest, but I could, I had a, a good style. But Eubank, he tipped Eubank for the top, Mr. Simons. I remember Eubank having a fight with Neville Douglas. He was a great fight though, wasn't he, Chris? I, I kind of, I, I, I felt he was more was realistic and honest. Uh, Chris Eubank, decent man, has been through a lot as well. My heart goes out to him, to be honest with what he's been through as well, even recent times as well. But very, very strong boy. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you do, you're doing your four years, you're knocking people out. Yeah, <laughs> I, got released, I got released from there with a little bit, but ultimately it came out, then I met my son's mother only out a few months again. But then I started to have all the bigger touches of money with the burglaries. I was more advanced. 
finding things more. You know, I was getting 10 grand of 15s and, you know, big diamonds. And, and that was a lot of money then? A lot of money then as well. Um, they accused me of doing Huey Green's house, Opportunity Knocks. He had an apartment, <laughs> allegedly, on top of Baker Street train station. I remember apartments that. It's called Chilton, Opportunity Knocks, but I nicked, he was living with, apparently living with my fingerprints are in there. It wasn't me, but right. it was. But um, I took a fur coat, a white fox, and something else. But I remember when I come up on Prince, when I got nicked in 85 after Aylesbury and that first sentence of three or four, um, I got another three or four, 85, 86, for a few more burglaries. So then I went to, I got to Wandsworth. Oh yeah, I was getting, yeah. Then I started to, oh no, that's where I got the Queen's pardon on that. That was the second sentence. It might be my third one, because I went away 82 to 85. Right. Then I was out from 85 to 86, where my first kind of love, after the initial one when I was a kid, uh, Brixton, Jamaican girl, where my son's fought with, uh, that's how I got my son, and I got grandchildren, and now not really that close, really, through certain things, but obviously I love them all, really. But um, Terry, then I got, then I went, yeah, that's what happened. Then I went, when I, that's when I, 88, 89, that's when the incident happened with the Queen's pardon when she let me out for saving the probation officer's life. And they slagged me off for that, some people, but obviously the heavy lot said, no, what you did was the right thing, because I went to the office one day, it's a known story, and a man was on top of the outside probation office, but I got to the room just as it was unfolding, bigger geezer than me, started fighting with him. All these screws come, uh, wrapped us both up, I got squeezed, they called me a hero. Da -da 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 -da. I got a raw warrant. Um, I was with Jimmy Uzzy, the train robber, then the sentence after the train robbery, I liked Jimmy Uzzy. And I went to Downsview when it first opened and they come one day and brought a certificate in saying, look, the Queen has awarded you 200 something days, Royal Warrant added um, remission off your sentence. Wow. So instead of doing, say, two and a half out of a four, I ended up doing 18 months. Wow. Still never got parole. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, most people wouldn't understand why, um, you know, you decide to burgle people's houses, but what was it? Was it because you enjoyed doing it or was it because you was earning so much money? It was like a drug. It sort of pulled you in. And was it a bit of the thrill of doing it or, or was it the money? What was the thing that made you keep doing it? It's a strange one too, because I had no plans to do anything with the money. Right. I remember watching Scarface during that <laughs> in the and, and thinking I'll start sniffing like him. I was very child immature, emotionally immature. No time out. The thing is, if you haven't got anybody guiding you. I just thought it was to show people, look what I've got, and I'm the best at this. So it's more and like. I'm following how they did it. Because you had nothing. Because you had nothing. Nothing, no one. You wanted to do something, so you go, look at me. I'm, Near, yeah. I'm, I've, I've done well. So you know my I mean? reasoning behind it, to be honest, is quite. Because you didn't. I was always aware of my heart of hearts. I did a video this morning on my channel about, you know, I mean, the victims. I didn't really understand the effects. I'm thinking it's just occupational hazard and it went on year after year after year, longer sentences, then I had a gun, then I, they said I killed someone in jail. These are little things that went on along the way till, and I just ended up just doing longer and longer and longer without any time out. I just, I've come out for a month, get nicked straight away. I was an easy target for the police. Um, was, you, was you 
still burgling houses? Was that your thing? Nah, I stopped. Once after the Queen's pardon, it's calling me names, some of them in there, wronging and all that. And that kind of, so that they started all that nonsense. And then I, I ended up, in the early 90s, I'd started to change. Uh, the ponytail, and I started growing muscles. And then I just got into drugs in there. Remember, I'd already met Pat Tate in, in the eight. I met Pat Tate in Brixton, right. 87, 88, with Squeaky McCann was there. That's right, that's how, because we missed Brixton out. But that's how I met Pat. And then Pat, I saw him two or three times along the way, the Isle of Wight, blah, blah, to, to the build up to everything. Because right. Pat was my age, you're one of young, but he was a big geezer. I think like? he had the tea job in Brixton right. as a 20 year old, 21 year old. So this has got to be 87 or 88. Valerio Vici was in the unit. You could see them in the cage. Victor Castagueda was in the cage. The Daily Brothers, I was banged up with one of them. Um, all the old villains were there in Brixton at that time, right? So then I went to Wandsworth and then I got the Queen's pardon. Um, Sorry, Tao, I've gone off the cuff a little bit. What no, was we were just talking about Pat Tate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Pat. And what was he yeah. like? Yeah, Pat, yeah. Uh, Pat, I like Pat. Obviously, Pat, took to, we talked to each other straight away. Bigger version to me. Right. Best way to describe him. Charismatic, cheeky chappy, not the hardest man or baddest man, or, but could do a bit of everything. And loved by most in jail. Terry, never forget that. Did you meet any of the other Essex boys? No, nah, I never met Tucker. Um, I never met... Um, Rolf, um, I saw, I'm sure it was on the recall, Terry. If I'm going to go into a bit of that now, it's up to you, but I'm sure I saw Pat 95. It would have been after he got shot through the window. So he was recalled yeah, for that place. Yeah. That was the last time I ever saw him. And I categorically tell you today, it is true that Pat Tate had some money on the outside, gave it to Tucker to look after, didn't really trust him at all. They never really, I, they've got this thing completely wrong with Pat Tate and Tucker. Pat Tate was getting what he wanted out of that relationship, right? To serve it straight. He didn't trust Tucker. Do you know he changed, went to collect the money off Tucker? It was Mickey Steele. Wow. Did you know that? I didn't. It's exclusive. You didn't know that? No, no. I knew you didn't. I just make films. So I was, <laughs> when he was on the recall, Yeah. I was actually with him. Yeah? So when he got out, he, only, he was only out six so, weeks. So, so, yeah. so Pat Tate gave Mickey Steele. He gave Tucker. Tucker the money, but then he's got Mickey Steele to pick, pick it up. Right, okay, got it. So he didn't really trust Tucker. He trusted Steele more, didn't he? Really strange one, that, isn't it? So, so that leads me to... Um, the million dollar question, right? Go on then. So, obviously, the, the, the way the films are portrayed it yeah. is obviously Tony Patton, Craig, were all good pals and they was all together. And, um, you know, some people say Carlton Leach was around them. Some people say Bernie was around them. Mm. Uh, Bernard Mahoney, yeah, Carlton's best friend. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then, obviously, that Mickey Steele picking the money up from Tucker, you know, obviously Mickey Steele and Worms, Jack Worms, uh, obviously got nicked for the murders and they went in jail. I was with them. Um, but, you know, what's your version of events? Do you know who did it? <laughs> Is that what they say? I probably do. 
but I know them two never pulled the trigger, 100%, right? right? Now, their relationship, Tucker, this is why I don't get Mahoney as well. It'd have been all right to me if he wouldn't have said that about Pat, right. not being the kind of right-hand man to have with Tucker, because many people had Pat as a right-hand man, some of the greatest names from that life that ever lived as his right-hand man. So Pat was Andy and he had more skills, social skills than Tucker. Very charismatic. You like Pat as soon as you meet him, Tucker. Now from all my um, things and all that, that I've heard and I've listened to everybody that was been around him, been around them, been around that. And they're good people to listen to, old and new. Yeah, from that time. Now, on the one hand, Bernie says, well, it's, import it's important to remember that they didn't know, Tate was only out six weeks. They only knew each other a few months. So what they're, in actual fact, the pe what people are forgetting, that it was Pat Tate's ending of his life. Loads of things happened in Pat Tate's life before the thing with Essex in the Range Rover. He didn't just pop up. He didn't just pop up. Because when I knew him, he, was, he went, didn't work with Sarah. He had a wife. Yeah, they weren't Sarah, as far as I remember, unless I've got that wrong, of course. But, you know, these things have happened. But they weren't that close. It wasn't that close at all. And I stick my neck on the line and I tell you categorically today that Pat Tate wasn't meant to be there that night. I keep changing my mind when I first came out, listened to this one and that one, obviously. The, most the thing is, I think that's what's created so much hype about it. I mean, you know, mm. if you was outside of the UK, yeah. and you was, or you was an alien in outer space, and uh. someone said, who are the greatest gangsters to have ever lived in, in this country? People would say, well, it's got to be the craze in the Essex boys because it, the craze spun so many stories, so many books, so many films. Same with the Essex boys, so many books, so many films. And really, if you, if you think about it, it was... But I think what... And I've always asked myself, what is it? And I think it's because nobody really knows, right? Everyone says, well, they've gone to jail for it. They got killed, they were doing this, they were doing that. Nobody, the only people who know are the people who got shot, right? Well, mm, but, or the person that done it. Yeah. Now, look, three people, well-known big names from that life, the Blundells being one of them. And we clarify, there was more than just Billy Blundell who told Pat, didn't tell the other two, be careful, stay away, blah, blah, blah. So when you look at the underworld, all the big names all around the country, they're already doing business together. He would tap him and he'll tap him and he knows right. that one. And he, listen, they're, they're going to go them lot, right? Da, 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 da. And they said, let's get Pat out of there. No one wanted him there. I've got to say it to you. You know, they've said their bits. Yeah. Mahoney, Carlton, Leach. No, it's good to different people's stories. But yeah. I'll say to you, Terry, as well, they, mums are still definitely didn't. Well, I don't, you know, whether they was in the air or whatever. But you know, everybody knows a bit more than me. The ones, but Bernard Mahoney is a real strange one because on the one hand he talks like Tucker taking orders off Tucker, right? I'll do that. Tucker, but on the other hand, he's legged it before December, right? Pat Tate's house has been raided after um, Leah Betts and all that, or just before I can't remember which. And they pull him and say, well, there's rumours that you talked to the... He seems to have all these six senses about everything about to happen, not 
point the figure. I've got nothing against Bernard Mahoney. He, he does what he does and, you know, he's made a couple of quid. He's done it the way that he's done it, you know, but it's a bit of a lot of contradictions I mean, in look, reality. But Bernie's a Marmite character. And you either like him or you hate him. I, I, I think and, Marmite's a bit understated, though. It's 90% that don't really like him. <laughs> it's unfortunate that a lot of people probably, to be honest, like you know Carl Leach a bit more. And I was do, you know, do you know what? I've had loads of uh, people message me. Some people have said, it was good to, because Bernie's never done a podcast before. And he said to me, he said, the reason I've never done one is because he said, I'm, you know, and I kind of get it. Look, he, he was a doorman at Raquel's. He's met a few people, you know, he said he met Carlton. He said he met the Essex boys. He said he, you know, was around these characters. He's obviously written books. Mm. And look, bottom line is, he's a retired doorman. There's written some books about some gangsters. He's done some documentaries and he's making a few quid out of it. And, and the thing is, um, I think everybody um, probably expects him to do a certain thing. And obviously, because he doesn't do what people expect, people get the ump of him. And then, obviously, a lot of people say he's a grass. A lot of people say bad things about him. Uh, I can only take him as I found him. And I've just found him just to be, look, people yeah. don't fucking like me. Fuck him. Yeah. This is my story. If you don't like it, fuck you. And he's very like matter of fact. And I just think for him to actually be that. There's nothing wrong with that. Some sad bits to his story as well. For him to be that, that up front, though. Yeah, he has to be, though, to be honest. But the moral high ground, you know, there's always. Listen, there's three truths, right? There's his truth. Yeah. There's other people's truths, and then there is the truth, right? Yeah, so but everybody then, adds a little bit on. Yeah, right? but then he, he says they add a little bit on, Terry, but at the same time, you've got to be accountable. Of course. What you say and everything. And if you're going to lead people up the garden path and change it, the narrative, whenever it suits you, you know, then bring out certain things later on after you've made mistakes before, after you've online and saying this, after pretend, you know, right into the Yorkshire Ripper and, and you know, changing sides left, right and centre. And there's a lot what? of unhappy people. Do you know something? Someone said to me, someone actually mm. sent me a message and said, uh, what, what, I don't trust that guy. You know, he mm. wrote to the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah, that's just know, one, though. That's one know, thing. I don't know why anybody would want to write to that fucking div, yeah? But, well, unless he was but, after, Mahoney but, was probably after but, a story again. But, but I reckon he probably, and this is, I'm not defending him, but if, in my mind, he's probably thinking, I'm going to do a book about him. The yes, truth, which you know is, I mean? you're, you're and conning he, and deceiving and, to get in and you're using that method. But the only thing you've got to remember, he is an ex-criminal as well. Right. He was a bit cold coming across on the podcast. He lacked emotion even when he was glassing people. And, mm. you know, I mean, even when he's talking about the pet stuff, he didn't sound that. So I'm not saying he's not sympathetic and that's me. I'm saying he doesn't project it very well. So that could be a feature from his childhood. But hey, I'm not, I'm not Freud or Jung. All I know is I'm good at reading people and yeah. blah, 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 blah. There's just certain things I don't go along with. Yeah. And I think there's some Jack and Danny's in some of the bits he told you. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you, you were saying, you know, you got a phone call that night. Yeah, I heard you're after me. You know, for the geezer that got nicked for selling supply and he, he's, he's rang him. Then he says he's leaving the door and he was leaving anyway, whether he got nicked with a gun or not. It didn't even matter. And then he says that he had to tell them that he was leaving and Tucker didn't like it. But yeah, it was um, Tate and Roth that came to the club looking for him when really, you know, what one was it really, if you get what I mean? It doesn't make a lot of... No. And you remember, the, let's get it straight, you thought I was lying about the geezer in the paper suit. And it, it what was that? With um, somebody saying, a young lady wanted to come on my podcast, saying that a few hours after, depending on what time we say Rettington was, so if they're saying it was six, seven o'clock, they're saying like at 12, one o'clock that night, which I always believe it was later anyway, the murders, right? 
I've got my reasons for that. Well, then some, a young lady reckons that she saw him in a, hitman, in a paper suit, like you get nicked and they take all your clothes off you, and you, you're in a forensic suit, which is what certain hitmen would use to go on a murder people. So you, you can throw it away afterwards with you know, the residue and all that gone. And he was military trained, Bernie. And he admitted on your podcast that he likes kill, and he'd like to kill people, in jest or not, <laughs> like to kill people and you don't get nicked for it. So, all right, we'll take it as a joke, Uncle Bernie. Right. Cool, cool, cool. But they're your words, again. But you're in the frame with all this. Not only was you legging it before December, the fateful month, and leaving the door of Raquel's, I've had enough and all that. Like, you've had enough now with your 20 books. I've, like, I'm done with Essex now. Of course you have, because it's done anyway. But I ain't done, because I've never spoken about it yet. It's my time now. <laughs> yeah? But I'll do it properly now, Terry. So the way that Bernie has put, he's in the thick of it. Pat, hey, this is not in no position to make judgment on Pat Tate. Carlton Leach, I think it's a bit, got a bit more. I was hearing about Carlton Leach from the eighties. Right, I'm gonna to get to the headhunters in a minute that I was in jail with in Wandsworth. They were the first to get sentenced for, right? So Carlton Leach is a well-known, I wouldn't say he's a gangster, but there's a bit more to Carlton Leach than just a doorman, right? From what I know from prison. Right? And Palmer Leach did a little bit more in the communities for other people with trying to steer them away when he first, you know what I mean, a, a few years and years ago, right, when he was trying to do his motivational stuff to inspire people to stay away from crime. They did those bits. Those bits are factual. But I heard a lot about Carlton Leach. His name used to ring in prison. So those bits I've got to clarify, I've got to say it, like it or not, Carlton Leach had a bit more about him. No one ever really knew, but he's a lone ranger. No one would really have it with him, so just the average Joe Bloggs doorman, right? Which is up to you. You know, we know that he could have a little row, Bernard, and he, you know, he absconded to South Africa, running away, didn't want to do another sentence, but yet he laid out six people over there and got bail, <laughs> and then decides to come back round, and um, it all gets to his but It's dramatised. Pat Tate, that's what I was going to say. None of them really knew Pat Tate because he wasn't around Tucker and Roth long enough. You know, it's only now he's coming out and going, let's remember that Pat was Tony out. You didn't say that 20 odd books ago Do you know to start that? with. Oh, you know, was... you was going on like you could make a character reference for Pat Tate, but you can't. You never saw enough of him. Pat had a big life before Raquel's and, but and maybe, blah, blah, but maybe blah. Maybe he's just talking about from what he, because obviously he said that when he went to Basel and he worked on the daughter Kells. So he probably come into the party late as well. He come into the party and, late, but then... To make judgment on a man that's been out six weeks, prior to that, he'd just finished a, a six or eight before he got shot and got recalled. So you're talking about from 90, 89, from that time, three times I saw him along that way yeah. in prison, in three different jails, or four even, maybe, if we go back to the bit of the eighties when I first met Pat. So then we're out, no, you don't, you could never have known him. You, would have, you can't make judgment, you would have bumped, you saw him a few times during those few weeks. It'd be like me popping out, going on my crime speech. Yeah, I saw you, I mean, but then he got nicked. And by the time you get back in jail, you're lying there, boy, he wasn't out that long at all. But while they're out for a month, it felt like a long time. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, not really realistic with some of the stuff they say about Patrick Tate, right? Um, Carl right. Leach, I believe, has been a little bit more. Honest, I think, and I have to tell you, categorically, that it is my belief that Carlton Leach was in faces, Epping Country, with Tucker, three or four years before all that. 
happened. So I, from my knowledge and things, from the stories that I've got, from people that was there, is that um, Carl Leach would have known Tucker before Bernard. Right. It's my opinion, you might know more, there might be no, more evidence. To be honest, again, I don't know, mm. right, because I wasn't there. You wasn't there. Right? But mm. when I spoke to Carlton, which was probably when we first spoke, right, he was working on the door of a restaurant. Yeah. And I was walking down the high street and I walked in to get something to eat and he was in there and he went, oh, you're making films now, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And he said, oh, you should read my book. And he gave me a copy of the book Muscle. Right. And at the time I thought, oh, you know, it's another book about a doorman. Because, you know, lots of doorman and gangland enforcers, debt collectors, we're all doing books with like John Blake Publishing. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, it's just going to be another one in books. But when I read it, I thought, actually, the Essex Boys thing obviously interested me because I saw the Essex Boys movie. Yeah. And I always thought... It done, been done badly. I thought it was shit. Is that how you started I out thought, on it? I thought Essex boys, Sean Bean playing Tony Tucker as an orphaner, they didn't call themselves the, no. the, the normal names. And I, and I thought it was a disappointing movie. And I, I had a bee in my bonnet when I saw that film, thinking, why didn't somebody actually make the fucking film? And then when I read Carlton's book, in the book, right. it, had, it had the football stuff, it had the Essex boys stuff, it had Nigel Ben, and I then rang him out and said, you know what? I said, this is actually an interesting book. So it's said, in, is it in Carl Leach's book? So that would have been about right, what happened yeah. in Faces and the Up in Country I with Tony Argent and Tucker. The, yeah. It would have been yeah. if he was Carl Leach around the world for that he, Nigel Benn stuff. But he, 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 there's pictures of him with Tucker and Nigel Benn. In well, the that's, I've got it. My and, dates and times yeah. are right then, and, 90 and, and 91. And, and, and yeah. he always said how close he was to Tony, blah, blah, blah. Um, again, as I said, when they, when they died, I'd never, I never met them. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I knew a couple of each being mm. a doorman. Um, you know, when I was right, when we did Rise of the Foot Soldier, um, I put in my book, uh, you know, that he used to work with us when we was doing the raves, which wasn't true. Um, he put in his book about, you know, me oh. and him being really good mates for years, which which wasn't true. Oh, no. like, Why but, does people but, always but, fall but, out but, at but, the end but of but everything? No, but, no, but it doesn't mm. matter because, no, because no. at the time, mm. like, you know, I, I thought his book was great. Mm. I got. I put the money out for the script and buying the book. Right. I, I developed the story. I got the script to the point where we could go out and get the money. But it took me two years of knocking on fucking doors to try and get that funded. Oh. Right? And and at the time, me and Carlton were good mates, and everything was great. And then when the film came out, um, the people that funded the film, I think he had some sort of fallout with them, and something happened where then he went off and made his own film. Um, which oh, was basically the same well, fucking thing with the same actors, basically Rise of the Foot Soldier 2. But obviously, oh, no. he already had the, the deal done with his other company. Yeah. And I think where they fell out and they started suing each other and, you know, it, it, I think he basically, I got the blame for it, even though I was fucking in this party. So, so, he, so that's it, how it went. So he till... then was online going, oh, this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. Oh. And, and, oh, not another fucking Foot Soldier film. Oh, why don't you stop playing fucking Tony Tucker and all that? It's a liberty and all this. And he kept going on about the families. You know, what about the families? And it's like, mate, you, if you were that bothered about the families, families, in the beginning, you'd have said, let's give the families a cut. Actually, out of my money, I'm going to give the families yeah. a cut. So that only comes after the event, yeah. right? And the thing is... You That's know, what Mahoney's done as well. Yeah. Listen, mate, I've got, I, I genuinely, for anybody who's watching or listening to this, right, I, I've, I've, the, the families was never discussed, right? If they were they would have been factored into the equation. And the thing is, 
if you do a deal with somebody, if somebody says to you, I'm going to give you a fucking million pounds to make your movie and put you on the map, yeah. right? And you sign a deal with them, that's the fucking deal. That's you can't deal. cry over fucking spilled milk. No, and the thing is, no. that's that's essentially what's been happening over the over that's the how you, period that's, of time. Oh, I didn't say so you clarified yeah, certainly. And, and the thing is, yeah. obviously Colton sort of, mm. you know, portrays that he set up the inner city firm and he's done all this stuff. He was a, uh, he's definitely a member, well, he was not a, a founder. No, no, no. But the people who set mm. it up was Annie Swallow, Victor, that's right. Danny yeah, Harrison. That's right, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. he was he was obviously on, on, on the outskirts of that, as was Cass Pennant. But the thing is, um, for me, you know, when I met him, you know, we will pally and mm. I'm like, I'm doing my book, I'm doing my book, I'll whip because he'd done his book and he called it Rise of the Foot Soldier. So obviously he put an extra bit about me in there and I put about a bit about him in my book because we've all pals him. But for some reason, it's that thing where if we if if me and you did a deal, yeah? Yeah. And 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 then you somebody else comes in and helps you with something, right, and then you fall out with them, don't fucking bring me into it. That's right. right. And the thing is, right, if that had been me, I'd have picked the phone up to you and said, What's going on here? And then you'd have gone, it's nothing to fucking do with me. Sweet. And then I would have dropped you out of it, oh. right? But but the reason why, obviously, you know, we've had a, not not a tit for tat, but I've, I've just, you know, gone off him, basically. It's vice because, versa. So because, that's all, because I haven't really researched Terry, yeah. to be honest. And but then the, listen, now you've listen, clarified people, everything. But people, that's how relationships all, are going All the fucking days. divs out there will go, oh, and Carlton said this and Carlton there. But the, I'm just, te- I've got no reason to fucking make up any stories no, or tell no, any lies. No. That's fucking how it is, right? Yeah. And the thing is, that's what happened, right? So, so you know, if, if, if I was Carlton, I would just go, you know what? Terry's right. You know what I mean? I, I apologise for... For, 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 for bringing him into it yeah. but let's all just fucking forget about it he's a 64 year old man I'm 52 yeah. like we've got better things to do than fucking have, have a beef or animosity do you know oh, what I mean oh. but I haven't actually got a problem with him but I, no, find, I, it, I find it childish I that he has to keep fucking going on about yeah. it that's, that's why well him that, that, that um, I can't remember see I got, in 1980s right when I was in Wandsworth yeah. at that time that like I explained earlier yeah. in this chat now I remember a Chelsea firm, ICF, coming to Wandsworth. First case of its kind with football hooligans of some kind. They were locking them all up, weren't they? They were locking them all up. And there was a geezer, I thought one of the geezer's surnames were last, but I can't, it could be wrong. Well, right? The Mar- Mar- was, there was, was uh, Marinat and, and Andy Frayne. There was a few of them. Right, there's a few of them. Now, everyone, it was big news that they were on their way to Wandsworth. So, you know, there's mixed emotions and feelings and being Chelsea. And there's, I, don't, I can't remember if there was racism, but I can't really go into it. But I knew at that time, at that time, the reason why I remember it so well, and I was remember it on the way here today, Terry, is there was another case from Essex at that time with a big dark geezer called St. Ange. Right. And another two geezers where they were in army uniform and they had someone in a swamp or they got manslaughter, but it was a big case in Essex or I don't far from East London. Wow. Yeah, so they both, they, them cases stand out in my mind because it was the 80s and they came at the same time. I'm thinking, so whoever remembers that case, but I can't remember. Yeah, because one of them, I was on the Isle of Wight with one of them, but it was a, it was definitely a manslaughter and it was definitely, in, so I remember the, the ICF coming in and they were called the headhunters. So I only got a picture of one of them in my mind when I look back. Was it the ICF or the headhunters? Which one was it? Headhunters, is not the same thing. In Chelsea, Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea. Headhunters of Chelsea, ICF were West Ham, yeah. I said, but I thought the snipers were West Ham. The snipers are West Ham, yeah. 
So I was always of the belief because um, Terry Sabini, the Longfellow, but they were snipers. But I thought they were the rulers of they that might, crowd. Might, do you know what? They might have been. That's but, what I said. But, uh, so the ICF, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, they, that's... Because they were like... But what? So they're not, they're West Ham as well. But, but... The, 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 you, you, oh, so not, why was I thinking ICF was Chelsea then? No, no, ICF has always been East. East, yeah, right. West, West See, I didn't know that. See what yeah. I mean? So, nah, I was it was the snipers but the, but that the, were, but, were the, the main players. But you're, you're related to the Longfellow, aren't you? No. I thought you were. Mm, no, I don't know who's told you this, but that is, someone said that I said it, there was rumours that he's my uncle, but... Oh, it's a rumour. Right, OK. <laughs> it's a rumour. It's a rumour. Yeah, but he, they were the football original, so that... Right. I wonder if they clashed then. Oh, for sure. Oh, they did. I mean, listen, all the, all the football oh firms wanted to kill each other. Oh. I mean, people... So I'm not up to the time. See, I'm, the football stuff, I kind of... I mean, so I... So that lot I saw, so the headhunt, this is different. See, I never, I never, no. I never got involved in that because I'd never got into football. No. And I, in the 80s, I was putting on raves. So, no, sorry, I was going to raves late 80s. And then in the 90s, I started promoting events. So my whole existence was around the club scene. Wow. And I had no interest in football. And I always used to think... You're fully grown men. I know, it's mad. Meeting other fully grown men, and you're like stabbing and trying to it's kill mad, each other, going to jail, mm. but you're not getting paid for it. There's no reward. It's just like, you don't support my team, so I'm going to fucking hurt you. And I never understood that. And, and I've been to football matches, and, and obviously, not being a football fan, when the other team scores and you have like grown men crying, I'm like, it's only a fucking game. And they're like, you don't understand. It means, every, it means everything. <laughs> but, but, but it's hard as a, as a non football fan to grasp, you know. I know what they mean, though. Because when I used to travel and go and watch Leeds, even though I was little in the early days, when the crowds used to come out, I used to get a bit excited when they start running at each other and all that. It's like almost going into battle. So I've had the experience of what they must be feeling like. Mm. But obviously, ultimately, you just don't get why you would want to risk going to prison for it. But also, yeah, I didn't realise that because I used to hear about Carl Leach from prison, like I said to you. Didn't hear, didn't know nothing about uh, Mahoney until really Essex I, I came can't, out. I can't be friends with Carlton anyway now because no, I'm, all right, all I'm right. Bernard I'm Mahoney's best friend. Well, you, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, to be honest, with Bernard, Mah with Bernard Mahoney, I, I, personally, I, I speak from what I saw, what I heard, and now I'm out. I join the dots from the prison stuff. Right. From having met everybody anybody, from all directions, now to have been out all this time and meet others. Yeah families, victims, you know what I mean? Supposed other big name players from that life, been out all this time and then listen carefully. And then I get, I join up, I reckon more dots yeah. because after all, none of them have done it. The circuit to join all their, all they're yeah, saying yeah. is basically their truth, what they saw, what their last bit was with him and that bit, there's some definite um, fannying going on. Oh, for sure. hundred <laughs> um, percent. Because after all, it wasn't a long period in life Terry, if you talk about the rave scenes that you was involved with, how many years did that last? Well, I was, in, got, it, I was, in, I was in it for 10 years promoting, but the scene started in 88. So I'd say from 88 to 2003. Yeah. So what was that? 12, 15 years of, of I mean, look, the rave scene still goes today. Mm. Um, but I'd say that was probably the period where it went. I see and it, in mate. 2003, yeah. it started to go the other way. And that yeah. was because a lot of the clubs got redeveloped. Yeah. A lot of the um, gangland stuff escalated. A lot of people weren't allowed to book certain no, DJs, exactly. certain acts, mm. because 
the authorities, whether it's the council, whether it's the police, whether it's the clubs itself, yeah. they were like, we don't want that here because if there's a shooting or if there's somebody dying on drugs, we're going to lose our licence yeah. and we don't want this shit. So, so literally... I missed the, all the, the that. I hear about all your raves then because <laughs> yeah. I was away with Andrew Pritchard as well. Yeah, Andrew's you know, great. I liked him, Andrew. You know, I did spend a lot of time with him. But as a man, I really liked, but well respected. So, so, so Good looking like me. Yeah, of course. He's all right, Andrew. He's charismatic <laughs> as well. Andrew's a good guy. He's actually been on the podcast. As, he's yeah, been, yeah, I yeah. checked out. He's great. Checked he's great. We haven't, but, we haven't oh, put the, the episode yeah. out yeah. Um, oh. yet as we film this, but, the, but, but it's coming. Um, but, um, but, but obviously, you, 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 going back to your story. Oh, yeah, sorry, sir. So obviously, we've gone yeah. on about the Essex boys now. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Carlton and yeah. Bernie. So now, that was lot, the thing I was going to say yeah. is that when you're a suspect right. in the case, like Bernard was, and he was, Terry, he got pulled in. He's been questioned about near enough everything. Also, his whereabouts and all that and everything. Shouldn't be allowed to comment on cases either. Right. So I've got to be honest about that. But yeah, we'll leave that behind now. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to go but in. You're, but, you, but you're you're going through this this stuff where you're yeah. Bernard is going to jail, coming out of jail, getting in trouble. Obviously, getting guns. You know, I mean, when did the drugs come into your life? Drugs came into my life in the 80s, briefly with the sniff. Smoking weed a little bit, but I never really liked it. So I went off that pretty early. So I was having no time out. P periods in custody got longer and longer. After the Queen's pardon, when 1992 came, I was out for a month again, got into crack outside for a few weeks, started doing smoking, erring in prison. Then I started changing and started and then I turned turn into Yami from right. Sweet Boy Sammy to that crazed lunatic Yami who <laughs> was pulling strokes to the front centre and, and supposedly robbing loads of drug dealers in prison. I as mean well. I mean mm. I mean I suppose robbing drug dealers, I mean I actually heard when I was doing the events, I heard about these people, um, they were like extra military guys and they were literally going around tying up and robbing drug dealers. Yeah. And uh and I remember hearing about it and I was going, that's like genius because they're all going to be the police. <laughs> some, <laughs> you know but I mean? some will. And this um, is what... But, but was, was you robbing the dealers because um, you, you wanted to prove a point or make money or did you, was you doing it because you wanted the drugs? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, mine was rather silly in there, to be honest. So I'd, you know, go in physically and nothing big, Terry. It's not like nothing, but I learned that kind of behaviour of the early Brixton men kind of thing. There was a lot of robbers in there. Pat used to hang around with a few as well, but Pat would more likely get someone to go and do it rather than do it himself. But then he took a lot of stuff in there as well. Patrick Tate, and he had a lot Was of, he taking the drugs as well? He was taking drugs. He was on roids as well early. Right. Pat, but he always had a bent, unit, he, he? Had a bent, he had a lot of bent screws as well. Pat had the gift of the grab. He could always make things happen and all that. Um, from inside there too, right? But yeah, I went on my journey and more the early bits, robbing, no visits, all alone in the jungle throughout the 90s, prison to prison, getting moved for this, moved for that, developing, doing jobs for dealers in there, paying me. Um, what sort of jobs were you doing? You silly, silly little things, probably. Well, cutting people. 
which is sad, really. But I, I wouldn't say that I was the greatest hitman, right. to be honest. I do it tongue-in-cheek, really. Right. The worst thing I did... Someone told me that the other day where they used to get boiling water and put sugar in it. Oh, God, I've done that. Over people. I've done that once. That's the worst thing I've ever done. I regretted that. Thankfully, he healed. That nearly ended up in a court case for me. Well, it did, and I got off. But the rest of my stuff, the hitman, a bit more comical. Give me some funny stories. Well, I'll run up behind someone, but didn't cut them properly you know as Tony Arden used to have a favourite saying of mine like when because I like someone too many people done good things for me so then when someone was going to get done sometimes like I'd take the payment then I'd go and tell the person that you better go because I'm going to have to do and they run down a block and everyone will blame me and da -da -da, but I've already had to get you know silly little moves I used to do like that um, head bite what do you want done to him a black eye and a fat lip that's so why we never paid the canteen bosh 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 Go to the geezer, yeah, you're going to have to take that bit, bit. I'll share the gear with you after and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Madness in there. Um, been stabbed up myself over someone else, swell side as well. Um, been rushed by the whole yard up north. Got away lightly there too. So I've been had my skirmishes. The 90s was a, my worst. By the time I went to the K's on the rerun from 2000 onwards, um, I was already established from all my years before. So the gift of the gab was more in, was more prominent and more liked because a lot of those men I did time with in the 90s and 80s um, was now beginning to get life for murders. Some had been serving life sentences all that time and I'd been back and forth. So you're bumping into those again. And then some of the household names, them gangland stuffs were happening at that time all at once. Every single name that you could ever think about, we're in the cafes all at once. You know what I mean? So who, who are the who are the cele well, I wouldn't say, they're not celebrities, but mm. who were these sort of uh, big names that you sort of rub shoulders the big, with? The big, the big. We talk about big names from supposed true crime. Then you talking about Terry Adams, talking about Kenny Noy, talking about John Goldfinger Palmer. Um, you're talking about other names, Gary Nelson. You're talking about. Um, Kevin Brown, you're talking about Kevin Lane, you're talking about um, Tony Argent, you're talking about Build a Bomb, you're talking about every single person. I'll take it, Build a Bomb blew things up. No, he was just, he was a ticking time, he was like an explosion. When oh, that's why he bomb, Build a Bomb. His right. bomb, when his head used right. to explode, crash. Right. So I put him down as my well, heart. What was it like being in, in that environment? I mean, because people were all so serious, what, what was it that, Everybody respects everybody, and, and there wasn't really any trouble because everybody knew everyone was what they were capable of. No, there's the dynamics, really tense atmosphere. I like being the centre of it all. Um, obviously, oh yeah, we've got the Arifs, Rookie Lee. It's many a name. You've got the big man from Manchester, John Gray, Paul Massey. You've got the Northeast as well, the Sayers, and um, some other lot as well. And you've got Liverpool lot, all the big names. Just imagine everybody in the same pond at the same time on the same wing and you, you're, you're you just... must have had some interesting conversations. Yeah, you do. And then you've obviously got the, the other one, the, the kill, spruce serial killers and so anyone that's ever been on the front pages. In, I mean, you probably don't want to be sharing a cell with a serial killer, do you? Just you don't case. share a cell in the case. Oh, right, so you got your own cell? Nah, yeah. There's no double cells. Well, I didn't know that. Nah, nah, there's no sharing cells in the case, right. Terry. So everything's single cells. Right. So it's very... People always thinking what other... It only takes a split second, you know, when someone hears you getting 
disrespected or spoken to funny, everyone's on it, pretends they don't. You know what I mean? You, it's all a bit egotistical, but you know, like it's one thing that can set something off. Um, you could almost feel the atmosphere sometimes. Well, I suppose and in there as well, if it's magnified, isn't it? It's magnified, but you know, a lot of traumatised individuals, certain crimes like they got to live with and only they know. And certain men get on with it and accept their part in what they did and are remorseful really and don't get into no trouble. It's not everyone that gets into trouble. Some keep their head down and get back out as we've seen, which I didn't think at the time was possible. When you see someone's life off of a 25 or 30, reckon they're back out, you know, 25, 30 years, you think, well, how did, you know, I saw Jack Worms, Mickey Still. I didn't think Jack Worms would, would get out when he got out. And that's allegedly three murders. I mean, but... what, what I don't understand, right, about Jack, Jack Worms and Mickey Still, you're in jail. Yeah. You've done all your appeals. You're 15 years in and there's no more appeals. Yeah. Isn't it better just to go, all right, it was me. You didn't and know. get out. I know they didn't, but I'm just saying if you was in there, uh. it, it, you know, you know that they're not going to let you out unless you put your hands up. So mm. what, 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 you know, as somebody who's never yeah. been in that life or, or, or been in jail, mm. uh, you don't, I, I don't understand why you just go, I can sit here for another 10 years, why don't I just go home? I'd want to go home. But I think they changed. Someone pulled me up on it the other day because if you never admitted to your crime, you couldn't get parole. But apparently people saying to me now, no, that's changed, Yami, that you don't have to, they can still let you out, they let Jack out as a model prisoner but he didn't admit to his crimes, which he, he, he says he didn't do. But Jack never spoke to no, really no one. Mm. It's fair to say that, you know, he was closer to staff than he was inmates. Mickey still just does his own thing, you know, but he's getting older as well. But to me... How Jack, old are they now? They've got to be in there. Yeah, but Jack Wham's innocent. I've got to be, say, he's got to be honest. You know I mean? It wasn't my like cup of tea, really. Mm. I'll say hello to him now and again. Um, I was to laugh at him slightly, Jack. He definitely used to be, to me, he definitely epitomised what a not guilty prisoner look like. And I've met many over the years that say they are and they ain't. Um, but he just never took to it at all. Um, so I've got to be honest about that as well. And I saw him in a couple of places, always on his own, always walked alone. Not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but you could quite clearly see that he wasn't happy about it. Normally, when you've done something, you normally, you've got to be realistic in the end. You can't sustain for 20 or 30 years. There's other men in the system who are saying they're innocent and no, they behave differently to him in jail. Right. But they still keep them in jail, Terry. 30 years later, if I've just been sentenced since the 90s for one murder, possibly two, and they still get, they don't get, they don't get a chance to get back out. Mad, mate. So, so you, you've obviously, you know, done all this time in jail. Yeah. You've now got on the drugs. What was your sort of darkest times on the drugs? Because you, you mentioned earlier about you had a back injury. What happened with that? Yeah, that was at the end of that last sentence I got out on. I took some drugs, sadly, and it, I tripped out. Someone said to me, you better not smoke that. I smoked it. What was you smoking? I think there's some paper sprayed with... Was that spice? Or something that? like that. Because someone said to me that that sends people... Like, yeah, but it wasn't the, the... At first, when Spice came, it was like weed, green spice, but this was on paper, sprayed thing. Someone said to me not to smoke it. I took it behind the door, got up off the top bunk bed, and thought I could fly and dive straight down from the air, head first. Um, died 
paralyzed, never to walk or use my hands again. Cervical, spinal, three, four, five. So I was in hospital five months. Um, had a spiritual awakening there and came back out after that. So my injuries are invisible, but they're there. Terry, I'm lucky to be up. I mean, I, I'm a very spiritual person. A lot of people don't know that. Is it, Terry? Um, yeah, I've been... So am I a little bit. Yeah, and, and mm. you know, I'd love to hear about that spiritual awakening. What actually happened? I was in intensive care and I couldn't move. I had a neck brace on and all that. I was in serious pain. That's going to be morphing every 50 minutes, surrounded by screws, obviously not handcuffed in. And they were saying, I could hear the um, consultant saying to the staff, now he's got the same injuries as Christopher Reeve. Wow. Superman. But we know three, what happened. I mean, three, he, four, he... five, he never got back up. They said he won't be able to get up and he won't be able to use his hands again. I could hear them saying that. And I heard, the, I imagine a week before I had the injuries, I knocked out, well, I threw a punch at prison officer. Um, I was some nonsense defending myself. Um, so remember staff that was on night duty looking after me. When I heard the consultant telling her this, she was like kind of happy because they didn't like the fact that before a week before the injuries that I'd done that in front of a full audience in Wandsworth, right? right. I'm not happy. It's nothing to glamorize, um, but it's true. It did take place. So she was going, ah, oh, so he's not going to get, so I could hear her, I was lying there. And then I looked up there and I said, what are you telling me then? I said, what are you saying, is this it? And so I said to him, Terry, I said, is this it? He started laughing at me. He says, well, you got out of everything else. I go, so what am I going to get out of this then? And he just laughed again, it faded away. Then I looked round at him more, I said, nah, don't listen to that. I'll be up soon. And it all laughed at me. And, and, and when you recovered and you had that spiritual awakening, what happened? Did you then go, oh. I'm not taking drugs anymore, I'm going to change my life, or did you just go, fuck it, and just carry on? <laughs> I had about a year left, because I'd done the 13 years before that, eight. This was an eight after the 13. What right? was the eight for? What was that for? Was Rob, that... Rob jumping over counters with a gun. Yeah, so I did nearly all the 13. Wow. All of that. And I did all the eight as well. What, so what was you doing with a gun? I was jumping over, threatening people behind counters. Right, oh, so it was Rob... like, like bank robberies, arm robberies? No, 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 muggy. Worse than my burglaries, robberies late at night, small amounts of money, raving lunatic, kidnapping the cab drivers, saying, stop here. Petrol stations. Give me a pound of coins. No, jump over the counter, um, the Hilton hotels, and daughters jump over the counters in the middle of the night. Sometimes pretend weapon, sadly, sometimes with a gun. Uh, I was out a few months, and then they armed police, armed siege came for me in Surrey one day, surrounded the whole house, and I was there 13 years, and I, was, I did all of it. And then I got out from that. Uh, I got my first acting scene at the Young Vic Theatre where I was going to play in a musical. So I came out from the 13, I was in a hostel and I was working for, I was doing the, working for Only Connect Creative Arts company in King's Cross. So we, I did one play for them and I was still on curfew and things. I got recalled for going carnival on the first, coming back late. They left me in jail for two more years. Then I came out from that 
and then they got me a bit in a musical in the Young Vic Theatre where I was going to be, I think, a singing prison officer trying to get someone out on parole. So I did six <laughs> weeks rehearsals and then it came to the five day show. So I was getting some good money, but didn't have a major part in it. Right. But then on the five day show, Terry, I was in a hostel. Remember, this is my second recall on the 13. I was only out eight weeks or something again. So I didn't get out of the hostel stage both times on the 13. So I'm shaving to go on the first night of the show and there's a knock on the door. They said, yeah, um, you've been recalled. I said, nah, mate, you must have the wrong person. You must be next door. I've got to do the first night of the show at the Young. They go, you, blah, blah, blah. So basically I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, seeing. They're stitching me up. Right, so we won't go too deep. People have heard the story before. Um, but I turned on all of them. Anyway, I got recalled, spent nearly the rest of the sentence, till the end of the 13, basically. Came back out for revenge. Went out, out a few weeks. Got nicked in Bishop's Avenue on Millionaire's Row. Three more burglaries and got eight years. Fucking hell. Then done seven out of that. Um, done half first. Came out in a hostel again. Apparently I nicked a Richie Millie watch, valued at £700,000. Saying that I left a print, I think a bit of blood somewhere in Regent's Park in a big mansion somewhere. So I was meant, to, I was in a hostel at that stage. So they're saying I must have done it while I was on curfew in the hostel again. So I never got out of the hostel again. So actually I ain't even had a night out. Wow. For 15 years or something like that. Did, did you ever... So then I got recalled for that and then I got the injuries. So I served the remaining four years of the eight. So I was only out a month then for the Richie Millie. Done and had the injuries halfway through that last bit and then in hospital six months. And then I, they let me go with nine I got released on the day of COVID, the lockdown, the first lockdown. Wow. I mean, did you ever get to the point where you just thought, I've got to, I've got to change my life here? When I had the spiritual awakening, yeah. when I was leaving prison, I said to them, <laughs> I said, don't worry, I'm going to be all right. I mean, you've come from being banged up for all that time mm. and essentially being locked down yeah. to coming out and then being fucking locked, locked down again. But I felt, didn't notice, I didn't really notice anything. I don't process things very well with these injuries. Like, I, I was just getting up in the morning, running down the road with the tennis ball, doing my physio stuff. Um... I had my first missus then, that went wrong, came out and mum died. The love of my life and then like to witness that and then I ended up homeless. I came out on social media, someone got me involved in YouTube as soon as I came out. So the tide was turning kind of thing. Uh, a different channel first, it's a diff different one that I got now. Didn't really go well, it was going well on that channel. Done Sean Atwood, done James English and I had about 10, 15,000 followers on the first channel. Then me and my, someone fell out over certain things. Then I opened my own channel. But after a year, I was on no license for the first time in history, nine months. Mrs. chucked me out, didn't work out there for my first ever relationship, sadly. My fault, to be honest. Didn't know what a relationship really consists of. I hardly spoke. Kind of a bit moody, really, to be honest. And mum dying that time really, and I was still using drugs. So that was the first year. And then I spent 18 months going around the country homeless. Wow. So everyone looking after me. 
Then I changed, got my own TV channel. Uh, started doing my own thing and just, mine's basically been a journey. Since then, we're now I've reached clean time for the first time since I've been out a decent period, I suppose. Terry, now I'm getting ready to do what you're doing, to be a presenter. So See, I've been getting by. I'm on, not I've a presenter, mate. I'm just playing it. I'm, I'm the podfather. You're the podfather. <laughs> you, you start, you're off to a flying start. You'll be all right, Till. But the, the... You'll be another dodger. You will dodge a woodle. He's really? good. I like dodger. Yeah, he did. That'd have right. to be... A, probably the best ones end up... Non-criminals be the best presenters. The only right. difference is I've got all the... Mine's been a journey to a build-up now. It's going to be in true yummy fashion, a big climax and a bang. So... I'm so, looking at a happy ending. Me. So, so, you're, so, mm. so now... Mm. You're clean. You're clean. You've got your, your own channel. Got my own channel. What else are you doing? TV work, Channel 5, Easy right. Sounds, um, talk about Netflix as well. I've got to get the book done. It's been waiting, but I'm glad it's happening. I was going to say, because having had mm. conversations, I did actually yeah. think, uh, why hasn't this guy written a book? No, I couldn't, because since I've been out, I've been, it's been hurdles and demons. I didn't know, I thought I would have been all right not being a criminal. Right. There's too many other ex life experiences, challenges that I've had to face since I've been out. Then you've got to be honest. I've had to wrap it a green. I've had the angels through the dark moments. There's been people there for me. No, again, you have to wonder why I get a bit lucky in later life. Never had much before, but you know, I'll take that. But I, th mm. I think, obviously, I definitely do your book, and I definitely think there is some sort of film or TV series. I mean, for sure. Because mm. I think going for what you've done, I mean, you know, it's... Mm. it's, it's I suppose to, to somebody who's, you know, watching this or mm. listening to this that doesn't... Yeah understand why you do it and why you keep doing it. I mean, that's the thing. But if you had your time again, Yami, what would you do? Would you do the same thing? Or would you, do you think no. in hindsight, you'd be like, actually, I've pissed fucking 36 years of my life away. This isn't the, yeah. I mean, if you were going to talk to your younger self, what would you say? I said I was sad, individual, sad boy. Didn't know nothing, really. Just went along for the ride that everybody else that was around me, that's all that was around me at that stage. And I, I continued with it in and out of jail. But when I look back now, a lot of the supposed big names and loads of men along the years told me that I didn't need to do all what I did, that I could have been many other things in life and I didn't listen. Felt like I was numb from the trauma. I even worked that out in the end. And now that I realized I was quite, this time now I've been out and I haven't harmed anyone and I don't want to and I never will do ever again. I've had the battles with drugs and demons. I think I'm, I'm getting ready to celebrate victory on that finally. Um, but ultimately, I realised I was just a normal person. Do you but think... I did have no life experiences because I, 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 I realised I did a lot of things without, you know, that were against who I, like, what I was really was like. Do you think you're... Prison. Do you think you're spending any time with young offenders I've got all that I've got Amazing. all that to come they Amazing. want me to because so the people, motivational side of stuff the motivational mm. the presenting yeah. sounds like you're going to be an actor as well so they've been waiting but it's only so many hours in the day yeah. so I've started to work out now I've got to do me and right. like go to bed early wake up I've got to look after the injury you know all these little small things that I didn't have when I came out when I'm looking back now right. thinking what you didn't know to do that you didn't even know to you go to people places every certain places I was getting hurt when I was going there I said yeah come here yummy we'll look after you but not everyone's life is like yours, they got their own, they don't mean it, but you go there clean, you end up dirty when you're leaving. Then you got put up with their problems and then I'm getting used to relationships and ladies that I've missed out on all these years and 
I'm beginning to feel like I wanted to be Casanova when I was a little boy now. Mate, you're 56, be, so you might as well start now. I might as well start now, <laughs> but I haven't promised anyone anything. But um, it's changed that so I got clean. Yeah. I was like, I'd always preferred the ladies, to be honest. I don't really like men, till, to be honest. But, um, not like that, but right. I preferred... Ladies' company. I prefer ladies' company, me. So I'm doing what I want to do in later life. And um, it's not what I thought it was. It's not what it's cracked out to be out here. I'm surprised at certain things. Because when you're in here, you've got a warped sense of fantasy about what life's going to be outside. But really, better than a man that never went to jail and works hard every day. I realised I could have been that guy now and been happy with it. Because the longer you're out, you're thinking, oh, I liked it out here. Why didn't I like staying out? Why didn't I stay out? There's yeah. so many other good things, but obviously it's really harder as well to not make bad decisions and fall into things that ultimately a lot of people have succumbed to drugs and addiction and suffered because of abuse and that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of broken people everywhere, That's not true. just the ones that have been to jail. It's normal day life. People you think they're happy on the, on the outside, behind closed doors, they're absolutely... <laughs> Hating each other, so they portray themselves, but nobody's that blissfully happy apart from me. When I wake well, up, I in was the morning, actually going to ask you, why are you so fucking happy? <laughs> I tell you, Richard has asked me earlier. I just even more worse when I'm clean. And this, I just don't get it till. But I wake up in the morning. I'm absolutely delighted if you get what I mean, because I would have taken three and a half years out without committing a crime, right? Demons come and gone, we, you know, we still work towards teetotal in the end. I said the odd little drink here and there at the moment, but that's running its course now. But I ultimately would have been glad if you'd have told me from in there, after everything that's happened, that I'd get three and a half years out, because the longest I ever was out in those 40 years was 20 weeks wow. in one go. So I actually did 37, 36 Christmases. That's a lot of turkeys. And I never sat around the dinner table on Christmas day, apart from when I was at home, and that was at 10. So I haven't actually, and all the Christmas I've been out this time, I haven't really been, it's not really been enjoyable. But for me to wake up and believe, the only thing that I get heartbroken about is about, you know, the victim. For my, certain of my crimes, most, most of mine are not known to me apart from the one when I was 12 and that supposed case I had in prison where they, it's not really factual, Terry. They said that I killed someone. They brought it to Crown Court. I never got convicted, but they said I killed a, a rapist, a serial killer, by way of stabbing him in his leg. But, you know, they also Google me and say, I might be responsible, but they're talking about another name that's attached to one. So I don't listen to certain shit. But I never got found guilty on that. But that's where that comes from. And the world, as far as I know, don't hate me uh, for some of the stuff I do. I hate myself for the burglaries and the robberies. I don't regret my prison behaviour, Terry. So I have a sink or swim in there, especially when you're in a deep end, surrounded by nothing but killers. I learned about victim distress out here now and what other people have gone through that I didn't know before. Because you're kind of looking at men in there and their crimes and thinking, yeah, that was all right. But then you see it from the other side of the coin with the work that I do. I'm bumping into all kinds and I get messages from people that have lost um, or nearly died or lost lives, loved ones at the hands of certain monsters that I bumped into in there. And, you know, uh, with the experience in that side of things, I'm realizing, as I was saying this morning on my chat show, that for me, that it hurts when I'm listening to victims now talk to me. I wish someone would have spoke to me and told me how they felt 
for the things, kind yeah. of things that I've done and how it's left people feeling and that. And this is where the generation, which in the end they'll, they'll work out in the end, sadly, and they won't. The youngsters are going to take much longer these days because it seems to be pretty normal now to say the bad things. I, I refuse, I don't really even like saying bad things to anyone no more. I even watch what I say. What used to get me mad in prison? Outside, I'm quite ordinary. I don't mind getting slapped and you know, by a lady. I don't mind being sworn at or blah, blah. I've worked out there's still risky areas with my behavior in certain areas. Like when I go out and someone says the wrong thing, I kind of immediately think that means war and it doesn't, you know what I mean? You just got to this life Deep breath. Deep breath, but I've learned those little smaller things and you learn where the red flags are, what works for you, what matters the most for you. Um, going to see that one and this one and that one and that one. I've got my own journey. I was alone for all those 40 years. I hardly saw anyone. Nothing was, nothing was, um, it was all myself inflicted. I didn't want to live um, by the way it was, Terry, but ultimately in later life now, I'm having a quiet chuckle because right. I feel like I got away I'm all right, I've done quite, I'm happy with where I'm at now, but then getting clean time, I realised, but hold on a minute, you could actually do a bit more than what you're satisfied with. You could have a happy ending without it having the demons and destroying yourself, and you could actually help people. You can have a message and carry it properly. You can do motivational talk, you can do acting, you can do voiceovers, you can do this, you can do that. You can inspire people by saying, you know what, just be happy, you know what I mean? And, be energetic the, the way that I am. And I mean, I like having a cuddle now. I like having a simple soft moment for everything and everyone. And I just feel certain days, like I said to Richard this morning, I feel broken hearted that it took me so long to work out. I wish I would have never done anything wrong. That's the bottom line of it. Do you know what though? It might have taken you 56 years to realise that, but you realised it, so. No, but I think I always knew, but that. I couldn't process it, Terry. It's a big difference when you're doing things against your will not for yourself, but for others. And you're thinking it's all right to do it. When in reality, you was a bit of a softy and a bit of a sweet boy, really. You just felt, you was just gutted. The two things that a boy, that you could go through, the abuse and losing, not being with your mum, the, the loss and not so much rejection because your mum's not well, it's not her fault, really. But those are the two most painful things. So anything that happened to me after that, that's why I could deal with the consequences. Because whatever happened that was worse, I happened early. So that anything that happens when I was getting all those sentences, I thought, yeah, all right. Well, it's easy, I'll just go back into the jungle and play again kind of thing. And you think there's not a life after that. You think that's all, so everybody's going to be around, all the names you ever met, it's always going to be the same. But everyone's dying, passing away, time moves on. What you thought was the greatest ain't really that at all. And then later in life, I just started to realise exactly what it was. And that in fact, it was me that was the greatest of all time. Never bad mind the hardest, because I realised that um, in later life, I've got a purpose to do the right thing Brilliant. and be right by people. Doesn't bother me that life at all. I'm not interested by it no more. I'm absolutely shocked and flabbergasted that it's taken me this long to realise that I was meant to be just being a nice boy. Um, like they used to say to me, everyone's mum used to look, I think the angels were there for me from the start, even when I had no parents kind of thing. Always had rescuers, Terry, which is why in later life, I think I've become the rescuer of people as well. And I do love a sad story. And uh, much of my work as well as true crime right. will be presenting and interviewing the sufferers as well and engaging with other people's 
plight sort of yeah. um, lost love. Reject, you know, what are all these things that I experienced? Right. How did I get over it? How did I deal with it? How did I process it? What would you do if you was me? Yeah, I mean, what would you tell me to do? Well, I'll tell you how I did it, how I felt about it, how I dealt with it. So I mean, Terry? Yeah. So you can only do by that. And if it worked for me, and I'm like this, how I am today, I'm not going to bring myself downhill uh, by yeah. way of drugs and demons when I've got all those things to give back. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that you saw the light and I'm happy that you've now worked out the meaning of life and what you're going to do. The meaning of life. Someone was dying um, the other day, Terry, and the last words that he said, I said to Richard earlier, I'm tired today, Terry. And he said, because it's been all day, I've been waiting for you. You took the fucking piss, mate. I was waiting eight hours out there for you. Really? Yeah, really. Right? But Terry, this is dying the other day. And his last words saying, said, goes, hold on, wait, 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 wait. I've worked it all out now. I swear, let me live a little bit longer. I just know what to do now and all that. And it's too late. But I don't think you could ever stop learning, really. No. I think even even me, and blah blah blah. I kept feeling the same. Hold on, wait a minute. I could do it all again and do it proper. You see what I mean? But I just got to pick up the pieces and go with what I've got. So, so people that watch this podcast and listen mm. to this podcast know where to find you. Why don't you let us know? Because mm. uh, obviously, wow. I also want to spread a bit of positivity. And uh, you are positive. You know, I appreciate so. you coming on the show. Yeah. But obviously, if you can let us know. Yeah. Um, you know, where people can, uh, um, can oh yeah, find right you. There. I'm off, I'm knackered today. Um, Yabby B TV, that's my TV channel. Only yeah. come if you want to. I've never said like and subscribe yet. I always say like and subscribe. I never do it. Or else. I like to, <laughs> I argue, hey, Terry, I always, when, they, when I have the arguments online, I said, I never ask you to follow me. It's a good one, isn't it? Can't get me there. You either love me. Or you forgive me. You're not another Marmite character, are you? No, I'm not. No, because unlike Mahoney, right. I've got 90% that love me. So there's only a few that hate me, but you've got to remember they're going to hate me for loving this one and that one and how I was in the jungle. I've uh, really enjoyed having you on the show, mate. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. I loved it as well. It was good so, to talk right. and, and hear your story as well. But thanks for tuning in to the Criminal Connection podcast. Uncle Yami, aka Yami B. What a great guest. What a great journey. Um, if you want to tune in next week, there's another great guest. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.